I go a good rule of thumb that I like to go by and advocate folks is look at some of what these pension funds or endowments you know, in the country, what's their overall weight to the alternative space? Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast. My name is Randy Smith, and I'll be your co-host or your host today. And uh, really, really excited to have a good friend of mine, Rob Vitale, on with us. Rob is the founding founding manager of North Square Capital. Uh, He is a real estate investment firm that's based in Boston, and he's been an LP in four deals, and he does what I do as well, specifically in the medical professional space, and he helps medical professionals decrease their dependence on their W-2, just like we do at Impact Equity. So, Rob, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Hey, Randy. Thanks. Great. Thank you for having me, and I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. And and you as well. I know we talked earlier. Um, I did a little travel and you went and saw some family or spent some time with some family, which uh, is always a great time. So, well, yeah, Rob, super excited, like I said, to have you here. Um, why don't you go ahead and kick it off and just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where we are today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks again, Randy. So my, for everyone out there, my background has historically been in the asset management space. So for several years, um, my days were really filled working alongside financial advisors. So I was providing a lot of different investment products like mutual funds, exchange traded funds, 529 plans, really the full breadth that you could think of. And a lot of the advisors I worked with, they were based across the Pacific Northwest. So Washington State, Oregon, and Alaska. And some of these advisors and the teams, the AUM, the assets under management, they could be from 20 million all the way to three to four plus billion dollars in assets. And one of the things that I really noticed was a lot of these highly successful teams, they operated in isolation. They rarely showed or these iFair found shared new type of ideas or strategies that could benefit really a more sophisticated audience the clients I work with, Randy, clients that you work with, and really, Randy, your audience that listens to your great show. So I contrast that to really the medical community, the medical industry, where a lot of collaborations utilized and sharing information. That's really the core of what its existence is. And medical professionals, they've always pooled together their knowledge and resources to provide the best care for their patients. You know, I come from a family of medical background or multiple family members were in this space. And I just witnessed a lot of their unwavering dedication and the efforts to care for their patients. Mm. And it always put their needs before their own. But I noticed the toll it took on them, the exhaustion, the burnout, really the overwhelming stress and where work-life balance was more so a luxury that I found they couldn't afford and on top of it all, with my experience in the financial you know, services industry, working with financial advisors, I noticed you know, how that industry poorly served them. So I kind of really had a light bulb moment for me of 
what organically found to be a calling or something what I really felt like I needed to do and where my mission now is really it's to help medical professionals it's to buy back their time and expand their wealth through passive real estate investing opportunities and that's really what brought me here today are you interested in real estate investing but don't know where to get started or think you don't have the time or money? Are you stuck in your W-2 because the golden handcuffs make it hard to walk away? If this sounds like you, check out impactequity.net and schedule some time to talk with the founder, Randy Smith. Randy went from massive income to leaving his W-2 through passive income, and he can help you do the same. www.impactequity.net Awesome, awesome. So quite, yeah. quite the journey. You played for a lot of years in the traditional investment world, which you know we've all we've all invested there. We've all probably made a little bit of money, lost a little bit of money. Did the the, the stock market roller coaster, as I like to call it. Sure. Yeah. And um, you ended up coming up to this point where you saw that there was a need that wasn't necessarily being met by the traditional investment uh, community. So very interesting. Now. You mentioned that it's it's somewhat of an underserved um, community, doctors, folks in the medical profession. When when you're talking with folks in that space, is there like common themes or misconceptions or beliefs that are are you know starting to promulgate in that space that would keep people from investing in the space, or are they generally open to this type of investment? So I find it's four main components of why folks are hesitant or slash really apprehensive of getting involved. It's one, they think they don't have the time. Two, they don't think they have the money. Three, they wonder, is this the right time to invest? And lastly, they're the learning curve. Is there a steep learning curve to be competent to invest because doctors they spend as you medical community eight 10 12 years becoming specialized in what they do so there's yeah. not going to be wanting to jump into anything without having that knowledge base so that's really the last bucket as well as can i get myself to that level where i feel confident in investing yeah yeah i, I think that's a big piece too because since this is you know, more readily available today than I think it ever has been. It's still somewhat of an unknown to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, even last week I was talking with uh, somebody that worked at Fidelity and they had never heard of the alternative investing space. And it, it's baffling to me that professionals that work in this space don't know about it. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I suspect that there's uh, there's not a lot of motivation for them to be educating their audience about these type of investments is my is what i suspect you're so randy you're spot on so from a financial advisor standpoint some of these major institutions like a morgan stanley let's say merrill lynch or wells fargo a lot of advisors are compensated based off of their assets under management uh, typically you're going to find that somewhere between one to one and a half percent so let's say if they're managing a book of business let's say that's a hundred million dollars of AUM, 1% of that is a million dollars. What you're speaking to, Randy, is that are they, there's a conflict of interest with the type of investing, getting involved in you know, passive real estate and opportunities like we talk about, Randy. The reason being is a lot of these opportunities are not available, let's say, at some of these major 
institutions like a Morgan Stanley, like at a Merrill Lynch. And even, and because of that, by them, let's say recommending to a client or educating clients about really alternative investments, that could mean assets that they are not managing, which directly impacts the type of comp their direct compensation. So that's yep. something that I found quite prevalent in my time when I was in that world, which was another really contributing factor for me of, of educating and bringing about outside investments, just like the traditional stock market yep. and mutual funds to help people really build a well-diversified overall portfolio to get them towards financial independence. Yeah, I, and I think that's I think that's the buzzword here, and the key is that I think everybody should hold at least a portion of their investments in alternative investments just from a diversification standpoint. Yep. And what percentage that is really de depends on your personal preference. But I know when I first got started, you know, my wife and I decided we wanted to have some exposure to real estate. So we started buying single families and then we found the syndication space like you and I deal with. And now that we've got some years under our belt in the space, at the beginning of the year, when we're doing our financial planning, we decide like how much of a percentage of our investable capital do we want to have in this space? Yeah. And, you know, we've seen that grow uh, from 10 to 15 to 20. We're over 50% now at this point. So do you have any thoughts or suggestions or strategies that you share with your investors? Yeah, I do. So someone asked me that question and you spoke to it too, Randy, of you know, what's a good percentage to have in your portfolio in the syndication, in the real estate world? I go, a good rule of thumb that I like to go by and advocate folks is look at some of what these largest pension funds or endowments you know, in the country, what's their overall weight to the alternative space? It's usually yeah. somewhere between 22 to 25% of their overall portfolio. So the way yeah. I really advise folks is you start with that percentage and then you either go stay around that number, you go higher or you go lower based on you know, the conversation, what you're looking for, risk, risk factors, liquidity, and et cetera. And that's really mm -hmm. where having those discovery type of conversations is very important that we have with our clients to really find out what's the best fit for them. Love it. Love it. So let's say, let's say you meet a new medical professional and they're interested in this space. And let's just say for round numbers, they've got a million dollars in investable capital. Um, based on that math, you might suggest 220 to 250,000 of those dollars be placed in the alternative investment space. So um, if that avatar were to come to you, how would you suggest that he place, you know, a couple hundred grand in capital? Would you suggest put a couple hundred grand in one deal, spread it, spread it across 50, 50 grand increments across multiple deals, or what would you suggest? Sure. Um, so it all comes back to really asking questions and getting that deeper knowledge of what they're trying to do. So one of my questions would be, let's say if they had, 250,000 that my recommendation would be put through in a portfolio. One of my questions would be, okay, out of that 250, how much do you want to invest in the next 12 to 18 months? All right, let, let, let's even start from there and try to reverse engineer it back. So let's say, because if they said they wanted to invest, you know, that full amount, my personal recommendation always is, I'm just a big fan of diversification. 
yeah. across investments. I just think it's a really good, sound, prudent strategy. So my first recommendation would be diversifying that across a, a few different investments and then finding out, okay, what specifically they're looking for to get out of their investment opportunity. Is cash flow most, most important for them? Is it appreciation? How important are the tax benefits for them? You know, and then also too, making sure that what we do is a great fit for them. Because right, we have conversations like I've had and you've had too, Randy, where you have conversations with folks and you find out, you know, hey, what we offer, uh, these type of investment opportunities maybe aren't the right fit. Some folks, you know, who yeah. are very, very hands-on and they're not as comfortable allowing a professional manager to essentially dictate kind of how their money's going to be managed and what the hold period's going to be. And that's okay, right? The, just yeah. like anything, not these investments aren't going to be for anyone, but for the investments that they are, and I'm extremely bullish on it, needless to say, that's where the conversation comes in and you find out how much you want to invest, what's your main objective of investing, and really go from there. I love it. I love it. And I, I love the fact that you talked about um, this This is not the right thing for everybody. There are yeah. some people where this, you know, um, specifically if control is an issue, then, yeah. then this is probably not going to be the best. You might be better off just buying a single family or two or three or five or ten. Yeah. Um, but it all comes down to, I, I like to look at, you know, what, what are their personal strengths that they're bringing? And you're either bringing capital, energy, and expertise, yeah. or you're bringing some type of network to the table. So, um, yeah, really good, really good summary there, Rob. Um, well, let's kind of dig into some specifics. So here sure. we are. This is this is being recorded at the end, just after Thanksgiving. I guess everybody knows um, some crazy things going on with the economy. Um, a lot of fun headlines out there about a bunch of different asset classes. So where are you spending your time and energy and what asset classes do you like now? Yeah. And I'll even give a, a before I answer that question directly, I'll just back up where I've been historically. So okay. historically, I've always focused really in the value add multifamily space. So 50, 100, 150 plus unit apartment buildings where I myself, I will go and vet out a specific operator and then vet out a specific opportunity where if both of those boxes are checked, I inviting my client base to partner alongside myself to invest in those opportunities. Historically, that has been in multifamily. Again, value add where the business plan is, let's say rents are too low, vacancies are too high, expenses are too high. And we are partnering with an operator who we have the conviction and confidence in that can execute a business plan over a three to five year hold period that more or less is going to double our money in that period of time. That's the goal and the objective when we get in there as far as a return profile. We are still very much bullish in multifamily. You hear a lot of folks say it, people always do need a place to live. Well, it's true, right? They say it because yeah. that is part is because it's true. However, since really September, what you spoke about, everything, a lot going on in really the marketplace, been a lot of research and talking to different, myself, talking to different operators, viewing different asset classes. One of the asset classes now that I'm getting very excited actually about, we're going to be working on some diff a different project next month is the short-term rental space is really where the focus being. And the reason being is one, it's the overall, the the moats and the barrier to entry to really institutionalize the asset class. 
you think yeah. Randy, and for those out there listening, if you have, let's say an Airbnb, say you own one, you own two, you own three, well, think about multiplying that by 50, 60, 70 in right. different geographic regions, maybe different property types. You have to be aware of different Airbnb laws going on. There's a lot that, that goes into that space. And in addition, if you think of it, the Airbnb space now, right, in which we'll talk about is there's a good amount of supply out there. And just by putting in, you know, going to Ikea, put, getting a desk and some lamps and throwing that on there isn't going to really get the job done like it used to. So we've found a group that we have a tremendous amount of conviction in that is going to be institutionalizing the short-term rental space. Uh, and that's really one of the re major reasons why I'm very excited about that specific asset class. It's an untapped opportunity where you're working with, again, it's all about the right people, the right operators that can execute a business plan, which I feel this group can. The name's called TechVestor, for those who might be wondering. And that's why I'm extremely bullish on that space and working with that group going forward. Love it. Robin, and you know, I, I love TechVestor as well. I've partnered yes. with them and I've, I've brought that investment opportunity to my investors. And um, in fact, I just literally this morning paid my first distributions on my TechVestor fund that I launched this Beautiful. year. So exciting right. days for for our investors today. But um, let, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about some of the challenges that we're seeing a lot. You know, a lot of the um, the headlines talking about short-term rentals today sound scary. You know, that the market's flooded and we're seeing average rents drop and we're seeing a lot of a lot of cities throw up flags and saying no more. So, you know, how do how do you respond to those objections or those challenges, uh, which we all know our investors are are seeing the same headlines we are. Sure. No, hundred percent. Those are all very valid, I think, concerns that you might see that you read. I, so I fully recognize those. And that was one of my questions too, right? Mm -hmm. Going on and, you know, partnering with TechVestor and starting to raise in the strategy is what are some risk mitigation? What are some strategies, let's say, within this portfolio, within what's being done that we can prevent some of those things? So, and some of those include the following. So one, it's focusing on not the let's say like major cities, let's say like Miami or even New York, for example, New York in September is pretty much put the kibosh on sure. short term rental and yeah. Airbnb. It's pretty much for all intents and purposes finito. Okay. So yeah. it's one, it's focusing maybe more on what we call secondary or tertiary type of markets. So not these major cities that you might be thinking of, but also okay. focusing more on sh more short term rental friendly states and cities like i'm speaking about secondary and tertiary now okay. let's say right now what's the that's one piece but let's then say something comes down the line where there's a change they say hey you, know, you can't do short-term rentals anymore you know that's so then how do we get around that the way you can get around that is with this portfolio working with techvestor you these properties can not only be rented out as short-term rental but they can be rented out as medium-term and long-term rental yeah. and the other piece around that is let's say none of the properties are cross collateralized and i'll explain what that means so in a portfolio you might have 
you know, there's a total of 100 plus individual properties that are making up across the two different funds. So let's say you have two funds in a city that has said Airbnb is done. And you do, and you look into the, really the numbers, you feel that, you know, medium and long-term rental doesn't make sense. Not only can those properties be sold based off of, let's say, comps, like you do when you buy like a, a single family home. Yep. It could also be sold based off of net operating income, which is very prevalent in commercial space. And lastly, that I spoke about, none of the properties are cross-collateralized, meaning not one property is tied into another. They all can be sold as an each individual entity, so to speak, which is yep. huge because if not, if you have all properties tied in together, that's when things can get very complicated. So that being explained to me, that logically made sense as a good risk mitigation strategy. So that's what yep. I would say to folks in a worst case scenario, for if that was to occur. No, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. What I liked about this specifically, like you said, midterm or long-term rental, or we can sell them. And there's a lot of people, um, there's a lot of people that are investing in the short-term rental space that might want to buy two, three, five, 10, 20 uh, short-term rentals that are in place that have historical data. Yeah. Um, even if the REITs don't want to buy a hundred assets from us, you know, sure. there are a lot of folks out there that would pick up five, 10 or 20 of them. So, mm -hmm. um, and then again, we all know that there is such a, such a demand for single family homes. Yep. And fortunately for you and I, Rob, and our investors, the majority of our assets have been, well, all of the assets in this fund have been bought in 2023, mm. which many would argue are at a 20% discount to what we saw just a couple of years ago. And the second we see those interest rates start to dip again, we're going to see the prices go up and that just that's going to drive even more returns to our investors so i think you hit the nail on the head there talking about that and you know of course the best case scenario is if we do sell this to an institution or a reit uh, yep. or private equity um, that ultimately would be the ideal situation where tech investor can unload you know 50 100 200 of these units at a premium because they've established the businesses, they've got historical data, and it's really just a turnkey um, turnkey yield play for private equity and their investors. So really, really great points. No, absolutely. Well, let's talk about, um, if we can, I know you've done multifamily in the past and you've just gone through like a, a operator vetting process. So talk, if you can, a little bit about what you did to get comfortable with not only TechFester, but some of the operators that you've worked with in the past and, and how that's changing or evolving as you look at new partners in the future. Yeah. So one of the things now that, that, is, that I'm very bullish on going forward, which has been the case historically, but I have more conviction in, is working with an operator that is vertically integrated. So vertically integrated is an, an operator that is not only implementing a business plan, but they have their own in-house property management company. Yeah. And one of the things that I feel it's very important about that is they have their own in-house property management team in place. I feel like the excuse of, you know, we're working with a third party property manager and, and things kind of falling through the cracks. Yeah. A, that doesn't exist. Number one, because there's a lot of property management companies out there and you hear the stories of groups that hire third party property managers and they feel really good about them. And then you check in, you know, 
two to four or five months later and things are just, you know, not all lollipops and rainbows, so to speak. <laughs> sure. So you hear those type of stories. And outside of even that, just having everything under one roof, like anything else, it just streamlines everything and makes things more efficient, not only from production, but also from a cost perspective, I would argue very much as well. So that's one thing that I've always been bullish on, but now I'm even more so now than really ever before, especially in the type of environment we're in. Yep. As far as two some other due diligence type of questions or procedures, I think it's very important for us, Randy, right? We're both fund managers. We are presenting opportunities for our clients. We are doing a lot of the vetting and they're relying on our knowledge and expertise to do so is going through and conducting background checks on some of these uh, these groups and individuals, not only both credit and criminal background check to make sure that everything is really candidly the way it seems. Um, I've mm -hmm. ran some, I, I myself especially have ran some things on the, on the criminal side that I've found surprising that is then put where I've no longer wanted to proceed or work or go forward with a group uh, because of what I found. And you, you even then would have that follow-up conversation to get some more color around it. But sure. I think it, that's very important to do because people are putting in their hard-earned money and quite candidly, a, a lot of money in some of these investments. You want to make sure we're with people and individuals that are good stewards of capital and you know, good yep. human beings and good groups as well. When I first heard this idea of doing background checks and credit checks on operators, I had no idea even where to start to do that process. So it took me a number of weeks to get comfortable with that process, but I'm glad to hear you're doing that as well, because like you said, some interesting things will pop up from time to time. And um, it's not to say that if, if people have a history that you shouldn't do business with them, but um, I would say even more importantly than that is if there is some things that they address them directly yep. and confidently and you feel comfortable in it. Um, so I think that says a lot about an operator as well, because it, at the end of the day, this is these are very big businesses that are being run. Yep. And it's inevitable that some people are going to get upset and are not mm. going to like the results at times. And sometimes just bad things happen in the space as well. So it's important to know how people are going to respond when and if that does happen. Yeah. And I think one thing, too, that you've heard me echo a lot, and I know I, for those listeners out there that have listened to Randy's show, and Randy, I think you're up to, you got to be up to 100, you're up to 150 plus episodes. So kudos to you, man. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. I'd say one of the things that you'll notice is really it's all of uh, the individuals at the top. You hear that expression too, who's the jockey involved, you know, who's or the captain, who's steering the ship? Because yep. there is going to be situations that are going to come up that aren't ideal. And it's all about making sure whoever is in charge, you have the confidence, conviction in that is going to get that on track. And again, I emphasize this word a lot, execute execute the business plan to bring the returns and the positive outcome for my investors, your investors, Randy, our investors in general. I love it. I love it. Well, great, great answer. Clearly, you've put a lot of thought and there's been a lot of energy and effort that you've dedicated to this due diligence process. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the level of due diligence that needs to be done on a specific deal? after you've vetted an operator and maybe you've done a few deals with them? Like, what does that vetting process look like when new deals might come across your desk? Do you just, every deal that an approved partner presents, do you put those in front of your investors or are there a selection process there as well? 
Yeah, so it's definitely the latter. So even after working, let's say, with a specific operator for a few times, you still, in my opinion, do want to do you know, due diligence on that specific deal, on the opportunity, on the business plan, you know, yeah. how are they getting to what they're getting to. So let's say it's a you know, value-add multifamily opportunity in Dallas. You want to look through you know, the underwriting. Is the rent growth seem appropriate? Does it seem aggressive? What does the CapEx budget look like? How much is going to be put together right per unit per door? You want to go through all those things to A, make sure they logically make sense to you. And then on top of that, in addition to kind of looking through the underwriting, one of the other things I'm going to be implementing too, Randy, going forward is not only myself looking through it, but as even as like a third as a third set of eyes, bring in really an outside individual to look through it itself, just yeah. so as opposed to the second set, let's do a third set of eyes. So I just sure. feel like it's an added level of service that I would like to be able to provide uh, my clients as well when, when looking through these deals mm -hmm. and opportunities, because I, similar to for the, a lot of the, the medical folks and community out there, one of the things they follow, Randy, and I'll tie this into what we do is, right, there's the Hippocratic Oath. And one of the statements is really, you know, do no harm. So from our, from my perspective, I kind of view it as a, let's say a financial, you know, Hippocratic oath and one, you know, don't lose money, right? Do not lose principle and, yeah. and go off of that. So it's very much important that I feel to definitely conduct due diligence on individual deals, not, and not just kind of saying, oh, here's a deal. I've worked with you in the past. This is good to go because yeah. things can change. Markets can change. Um, just past, as you hear some folks say, past uh, past performance is an indicative of future uh, performance. You know, that saying, I'm not quoting it verbatim correctly, but it's along <laughs> sure. those lines. Yep, yep, exactly. Well, very good, very good. Um, gosh, I, you know, I'm looking at the timing here. It's, it's, it's crazy that you're, you know, I hear you talking about your business, your due diligence process, very, very similar to what I'm doing as well. There's a lot of similarities there, uh, which makes me feel good as an operator that I'm doing due diligence similar to what other high performers are doing in the space. And I know you're a good steward to your investors' capital. Um, so to hear those similarities makes makes my heart warm. Um, so let's, you know, of course, I've got a, a few questions that I like to ask everybody, but yeah. is there anything that that you wanted to discuss today that maybe we haven't discussed yet? Are there any things you want to go deeper on or anything else we want to share with the audience from your perspective um, today? Yeah, I would say for all the audience out there that's listening, it's it's a short, simple question, but I think it re re involves reflection is know your why. Why do you want to invest in real estate? So, and and peel back the layers, right? It's why do you want to invest in real estate? Okay, I want to generate passive income. Okay, why do you want to generate passive income? Oh, I want to do. I want to do some more traveling. Okay, great. What does that traveling entail? Do you want to do that yourself? Do you want to go through family? It's really discovering why you you want to get involved in this space because. That's going to get you to where you want to go. The first time you invest, I don't know if Randy, you were like this. I was myself, right? The first time I invest as an LP, one of my deals uh, in, into an opportunity, into investment, like 
it was, I don't know if scary is the right word, but it was a little bit nerve wracking, right? You're, you're sure. doing something that you haven't done before, right? My whole world, like I said, has always been involved in, you know, the traditional stock market, but then doing the research and really f knowing what my why is. And for those wondering that, you know, what, what's my why, it's, it's really to spend, be able to spend more time, you know, with family. I'm a huge family uh, guy and spending time with my three nieces who I love seeing and spending his time, which as much as I can. And this type of profession can provide that opportunity to do so. And then from the investment side of things, right, building out a predictable stream of appreciation and income, right? So yeah. when you're thinking about what's your why, if that's a big component and being able to do that, this avenue can do it. The stock market, yeah. right? I've we've all made money in the stock market, but you don't it it is a roller coaster. And depending on when you're retiring or when you want to do something, if you hit the wrong year, your portfolio can be down twenty to thirty percent. So it's a complete timing situation yep. versus yep. what we are doing, we can help really build people out a predictable path of where they want to go on a time frame that's going to hit their objectives. So I say to people listening out there, know your why of why you want to get involved, why you want to invest. And I think then your decision and being able to get started is going to be a lot easier. And you won't Love regret it. it. I'm telling Love you, I'm yeah. going through both sides of, of the lane. Once you, I, I really truly believe that, that once you start getting involved in the space and you hear and you learn about what really isn't being taught, again, by the general broad financial services industry, it's going to be very eye-opening. Love it. Love it, Rob. Thank you for that. I think that's that's kind of the, the perfect finish to our recording here. Yeah. Um, really kind of echoing our my same point is like, just make sure you want to know, you know your why. Um, and the, a lot of people... Like, I know when I first got into the space, like, I know I just wanted to invest in real estate, and I didn't know why. Um, I came into the space and invested very heavily in equity plays that would grow my, my equity fast, but I didn't pay a lot of attention to cash flow. Okay. And then when I got laid off, it was a surprise. Um, uh -huh. I had a lot of money invested in the stock market and in real estate, but it wasn't kicking off cash flow. So um, finding investments like the TechVestor offering that you're doing, which yeah. are really kind of the perfect marriage of cash flow and appreciation. You get the best of both worlds. Um, I think is a really, really smart move. So, well, let's uh, let's jump over into kind of the final section of the podcast sure. where I ask a number of questions to everybody. Okay. Obviously, you're really well educated and uh, well known in the space now, Rob. Getting more and more well known as the days and weeks and months pass. But is there a specific? educational resource that you would suggest for the new or newer passive investors that are jumping into this journey? Yeah, so I'm gonna speak to, uh, Pradama, I know to the, the medical community out there for some folks, there's a couple, if you're looking for a general podcast, there's so many different podcasts out there and Randy, I'm gonna be shouting out for your podcast. I don't care if I'm a, a guest on here, you bring on outstanding guests that are, that cover a variety of different, I feel like sectors within the commercial real estate space that we're in, which I think is fantastic. So this is one of them for sure. For the medical community out there, there's two different podcasts that I think are outstanding. 
Uh, one's called the, the White Coat Investor by Dr. Jim Dolly, and then there's one called Passive Income MD uh, by Dr. Peter Kim. They talk about a number mm -hmm. of different strategies in addition to real estate, but very much geared towards the medical community. So that's real estate, medical community, and lastly, from a broad educational, I would say resource for a podcast. Uh, I myself am a big fan of uh, of Ed Milet, uh, motivational speaker, coach. He has a podcast called The Ed Milet Show, and similar to you, Randy, while it's not maybe as much geared towards real estate, he brings in different guests and speakers across all different industries. And you, every time you listen to it, you always learn something new, something unique. And he's also just seems to be a generally good dude as well, like yourself. Yep. Um, so those would be, I know I gave four, but to recap, Randy, you're specifically geared for real estate, uh, white coat investor and passive income MD for the medical community out there, not only from a real estate, but also some ancillary type of educational components. And then just in general, uh, Ed Milet, the, uh, the Ed Milet show, I think is spectacular as well. Awesome. I, I think you could take those four podcasts um, and just listen to those every week and become as educated as you could ever need to be in this space yeah. to make that first investment, no doubt. And and Ed Milet, I love Ed Milet. I saw him in person last year and there was not a dry eye in the audience. Yeah. And I felt like we could have, you know, charged uh, uh, charged the mountain after hearing him speak. He is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, motivating, inspiring, just an awesome podcast. I'd encourage everybody to listen to that. So, yeah. all right. Are there any particular books that uh, you have read recently um, or in, in the past that you think uh, that you'd like to share with the audience? Yes, I'd say there's two. Um, one is, again, outside of, it ties into the real estate space, but Dr. Jim Dolly for The White Coat Investor, he wrote a, a book that is called like the white coat investor that is spectacular sure. recommend for okay. anyone, especially in that medical community to read that, that does cover uh, real estate. And then something that, while I didn't create necessarily per se a thick way, a traditional book, I created an ebook, something called uh, financial RX. So challenges and strat or yeah, challenges and strategies unveiled that really covers. It's about a 20 page ebook that talks a lot about, the medical community, some of the challenges that they're facing in their current space, yeah. reviewing it kind of like a diagnosis, right? When you have a patient sure. or when a doctor brings in a patient, you're diagnosing kind of what's going on and maybe some different strategies to implement to help improve that situation and to cure that situation. Uh, so I put together an ebook. Again, it's called Financial RX Challenges and Strategies Revealed that can be found both not only on my Instagram account but also through on my website as well, which we'll speak to, I know, at the end. But those are yeah. uh, two pieces, I would say. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I didn't know you had done the ebook. I'll, yeah. I'll check that one out for sure. All right. And now just a couple of fun ones here. If, um, like, looking back over the last year or so, is there a uh, bucket list item that you've recently checked off your list or one you're hoping to in the near future? Yeah, we'll do one in the near future. So I, I'm a big I, and this would be more on the personal side of things. So I love, I do love to travel. I think it's great to explore different cultures, cuisines. I love to eat and getting those <laughs> type of experiences that I just feel can be very tough to duplicate without traveling. 
traveled to this to Denmark, Scandinavian uh, country for those who may or may not have been spectacular. And I do want to get now and visit the other ones. I want to get to Norway and I want to get to Sweden as well. My plan is to get there. I think April of 2024, April, May, when it's a little bit warmer and they're getting more than four hours of daylight as they currently are getting right now as this is airing. So that would, I would say is is short-term bucket list for me is to do some more traveling in particular, get over to Norway and Sweden. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I, uh, my wife and I are big travelers as well. And we've got, uh, We've got a bucket list to hit every one of the continents, uh, you know, in the not too distant future. So I think we're on three at this point. So we've got a long okay. way to go in the next few years. So including yeah. Antarctica. Does that include I, Antarctica, Randy? You know, I'm not going to just do six of them. So, yes, we, we will okay. find a way to make that happen. Yes. All right. <laughs> I know a few folks who we can chat about that too offline. I know some folks who did that. They went all the way down to the tip of Argentina and they took the boat over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Well, awesome. And then finally, one that I've been asking just recently, uh, because this is what we talk about. We talk about investing. So if you had a hundred grand that you had to invest today and you could not invest it in your own deal, where would you invest that hundred grand? Yeah. So for me, I spoke to this earlier on I know our interview and our discussion, Randy, but I'd be putting it into, uh, I can't put it in my fund. I'm putting it in your fund, Randy. I'm putting it into 100000 into the short-term rental portfolio uh, through Techvester. I just am extremely bullish on the space, the people that are running that company and what they're looking to do. That's where my money would be going for sure. I love it. I love it. And I, I would place my hundred grand in yours as well oh, because there are uh, – <laughs> There are investment uh, tools that I use that keep me from investing in my own deal. So who knows? You might see a soft commit coming through soon. So <laughs> there you go. Well, Rob, it's been uh, it's been great having you on the show. It's like I said before, it's it's refreshing to hear that your process and your due diligence process is very similar to mine because both you and I are helping folks, you know, ultimately decrease their dependence on their W two by investing in alternative investments and. People leverage your and my expertise in this space to give them access to other things. So it's so exciting to hear that um, you and I have very, very similar strategies. But it's been so fun having you on the show, Rob. Thank you so much for for being with us today. No, absolutely. Thank thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. And for those that are looking to, they got questions or reaching out and the contact again. I know I mentioned the ebook. I'm on the the social media between LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, yeah, on Instagram, where I can be found, Rob Natali underscore, and then I can be found if you want to reach out and contact NorthSquareCapital.com contact page on there. Again, if you have any questions about anything I spoke about today, looking to get a copy of that ebook, uh, reach me at, and we can go from there and have a discussion. So thank you again, awesome. Randy, for having awesome. me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, folks looking for a referral to Rob can certainly reach out to me as well. Uh, big fan of what's Rob's, what's Rob's doing. We've been, we've known each other for over a year, I believe now, maybe a year and a half even. Yeah. And uh, we belong to some masterminds together. And I've got to see the guy show up steadily, consistently over months, um, which is something that I can't say about a lot of people. But Rob, you show up in your you're an excellent participant. You're an excellent member in the communities that you and I 
um, hang out and together. So thank you for that as well. No, absolutely. All right, to our audience as always, um, want to encourage you to continue your education journey in this amazing passive investing space. More importantly than the education though, I encourage you to make a decision to invest in your first passive investment before the next 30 to 60 to 90 days. I'm convinced that once you do, I'm sure Rob is as well, convinced that once you do, you'll be so glad that you did and you wish you would have started much, much sooner. So be sure to join us again next Thursday for another great episode. And thank you again for joining us today. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.